Cool. Once you be in charge of that next week. Not my circus, not my monkey. Really quick response. It was ready. We've been practicing it. All right, so uh, <laughs> so we did the thirty nine milachot, and you guys are reviewing that in your families and determining what you will do. I trust that you will share that with us so that we may honor you in your decisions and that, sh- that you may choose to defer to us in other areas as well. So while that's on a hiatus, while you review, <clears throat> Peter has, uh, has been sharing some Hasidic thought with me from time to time. And his latest uh, uh, recommendation was, and many of you have read this, I think, the Garden of Emunah. How many of you are reading or have read the Garden of Emunah? Well, virtually 100%. That's great. Um, I had the book at home. Or other works by Rabbi yes, Shalom Arush. Right, Rabbi Shalom Arush. So I, I do want to encourage you to read it. And, you know, your eyebrows may go up at a certain points, and you'll go, I don't know if I believe that. Let's I like keep... those parts. Yeah, they're great, but just keep reading and, and get into it. I'm reading it out loud to my wife, and she's reading every other chapter to me. I, well, it, it, Hasidic thinking, however, Rabbi Arush would not be considered Hasidic. Okay, well, absolutely we... would. He's a Breslover. He's a Breslover? So what, what would you call it? Okay, Breslov. Breslov is a right. branch of Hasidism. Okay, okay. Now, yeah, but I mean, when you talk about Hasidic in, like in, in the land of Israel, yeah. you, you, they're, they're black hat, they're, they're ultra-Orthodox as normally used. He would probably be closer to Rabbi Kempel as far as uh, look demeanor. Okay, that's good Have to know. Have you seen his okay. picture? The guy has hair down to my... Well, yeah, but so does Laser Brody. And Laser Brody is like, he's like a hippie. And actually, Laser Laser Brody actually wrote the... uh, He actually translated it. So, yeah. So anyway. um, They have a lot of hair. That's wonderful. Well, you know, we've talked about the hair. We're actually actually going to have a class. Maybe Taylor will help us with it since he has the most facial hair today. Although, getting a little robust there. So are you. But... We'll, uh, unless, unless I don't shave this week and then I'll catch up. It's the Roman in him. That's right. Um, but we're, gonna, we're actually going to have a class on that. You know, and what does it mean to mar the corner of your beards? And, and it, am, I, am I destroying God's design when I take this off? I mean, he put it there. Well, how about when I grow my beard but I straighten out the edges and they don't let those really cool pups come out which really give it that whole Hasidic look. Anyway, we're going to talk about that and uh, that's a different class though. So if you're interested in doing the research there and taking over, that's great. Some of you have bare-breasted uh, bottoms and faces and can't grow hair on your face and that's okay and I won't be proud of you tonight. The mange. <laughs> yeah. the bum Some of you your facial hair and head hair has moved to your underarms and back. And <laughs> This is a this is a cause for ears, prayer. Ears. <laughs> and ears. Boy, is that true. Nose, Holy cow. Nose and ears. Crevices, baby. Eyebrows. Eyebrows. So, as I'm... Like, whoa. <laughs> this book Mine's has... Uh, off my legs. 
this book has basically three premises with regard to faith. Three premises. The first? God causes everything. God causes everything. everything. Every molecule. Everything. He causes everything. So the visible church would teach us in, in Protestantism that things happen through his permissive will or his other will. Aggressive will. <laughs> yeah, one of those deals. So that he, he may just kind of allow it but didn't cause it. And it. But it got past him because he allowed it to get past him. That's not the sense here. The sense here is he caused it. He directly caused it. It was his intention. That's why. What's the second point? God causes for your good. God causes everything for your good. Now, when my wife and I got to the first one, it was a no-brainer. We, we do truly believe that God is not only the creator of the universe, but the maintainer of the universe. Secondly, that God causes all things for our good is something that we also agree with. But we didn't really understand what that meant until we continued to read. And when you get into the detail of that, it does get a little troubling. Now, wait a second. Does that mean that when you hit the car in front of you at the stoplight because you didn't stop, Been there, done that. that God caused that to happen? Yeah, that's what that means. Well, okay, I, I thought that was because of my sin. Well, it may have been because of your sin, but God still caused it to happen. Well, wait a minute, that is for my good. Well, God can use even my sin to bring glory to himself and to help me to learn and to grow and so forth. And I know all of the platitudes from the Christian church, but this was just a little bit different. And the third one, what's the third point? Sends a message to you to show us or to come. Give me a full sentence, guys. I mean, you're both God right causes there. all things for your good in order to get your attention for introspection. Nice. That was good. The bottom line to that was this, which caused my wife to put the book down on the table. Everything happens to us because God caused it and did it for our good. But it happens to us. It happens to me because either there is sin in my life that he wants to reveal or encourage he wants to encourage me in my faith. Either way, he wants to get my faith to grow. Well, we immediately put the book down, raised the issue with Pete at the dinner table. So, what, what do you think about this? I mean, this seems kind of odd. This sounds like, I mean, the Baptist guy who comes to visit the guy in the hospital who says, well, the only reason you've got cancer, brother, is because there's sin in no your life. Faith. If you spend some time in repentance, I'm sure God will heal you. And if he doesn't, well, you're going for his glory. So God bless you. <laughs> Where's the next bed? I, I hate people like that. I just can't stand talking to people like that. Mm. So we were wrestling with that, and we talked to Pete. And he brought up a couple things. First was that this book is not written for the tzaddik who has no sin. And yes, I do believe there are tzaddikim with no sin. And I strive every day, and if you're listening remotely, listen carefully. I strive every day to get up in the morning and then lay back down in that bed having not sinned. That's my goal, to not sin every day. Sometimes 
I actually manage it. Other times, I have children. I marry. I'm an idiot. I'm a jerk. <laughs> and I need to spend some time in shuka and in repentance. I get it. But I firmly believe that you can live a life without sin. I firmly believe that. Because he has not made his commandments too far from you. He's not put them across the sea that you need to ask somebody to go get them for you or anything like that. It is easy to live a life without sin if you truly desire to do so. However, this book is not written to that kind of guy because what happens to men who are without sin? What happens to the tzaddikim? Why would there be any kind of discomfort in their lives? For other people. For other people. They are suffering for the unrighteous, just as our Messiah suffered for us, ultimately. If you don't believe this concept, you don't understand what Messiah did for you. It's as simple as that. So it's not anathema. You just have never heard it this way. But this book is written for regular people like me who are still working on their faith and still trying to grow. So when Peter explained that at the dinner table, it was a long dinner, we understood then that we can accept the fact that since there is sin in my life, that everything he does is not only for my good, but is to bring me to repentance so that my faith would grow. So I want to encourage you to read the book. Yes? That last point... um it's actually Romans eight twenty eight that we quote all the time about you know all things work together for good for those who love God, um, but most people don't read the verse that follows immediately after, which is that um, Romans eight twenty eight isn't that the uh, there's no nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's the end oh, that's of Romans 8. That's the end of Romans eight. Romans eight twenty eight is um, that all things all work together for good for those who love God was to be called according to His purpose, right. and then Romans eight twenty nine goes on to say, and forgive me, I'm paraphrasing here, but it says that. Um, that so that uh, Yeshua might be the firstborn among many brethren, he conforming us to his image. That's right. So the idea is that all the things that work together for our good, it's not the idea that um, God really wants you to be happy, and <laughs> everything that happens to you is ultimately good. When you look in heaven, you're going to go, I got in a car accident because I would have gotten killed by the plague if I kept driving. You know, whatever. Right. Um, it's more so that you end up becoming more like Messiah. Amen. And that's how it is for your good. Amen. Good. Thank you. I really believe that uh, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov uh, is a good disciple of Paul because Paul teaches this concept a lot. And in fact, in <laughs> Acts 17, he gives a sermon. Acts 17, 22, he stands at the Eragapas in Athens right. and stands up and says, For I have long passed and observed objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is as unknown as this I proclaim to you. The God who was... Hold on. I lost my place. No. Um, to the unknown God. Wherefore you worship as unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who has made the world and everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, boundaries for their dwelling, and here's the reason why, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him 
and find him. So Cause he everything. Because he does not us. wish that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So the people that say, you know, what about the poor people that live in, uh, you know, West Erian? What's it called now? Uh, New Guinea? In, in, yeah. Indonesia? No, it's Papua it's, New Guinea? New yeah. Orleans? New Orleans. New Orleans. <laughs> Chicago! Anyway, uh, yeah, Indonesia. People live in Indonesia, you know, this like back tribes, like they never had an opportunity. It's like right. certainly that yeah. God did not, you know, they're, they're unfortunate. They have not heard the good news. And the answer is their boundaries were chosen with specific purpose that they would seek God. Amen. Well, of course, the ultimate argument to that point is, um, is that Abraham, uh, according to tradition at least, if you read the scripture, you don't really see any other argument against that, uh, had no one to teach him about God, but simply looked up at the stars and realized there's no way this could have been made by oh, many gods. Yeah, this piece of wood. This, and, it, and it makes no logical sense for there to be dozens of gods combating with each other for primacy. So Abraham came to see God, and then God revealed himself Amen. in detail. That's exactly right. Um, through his creation, it's exactly what Paul describes in Romans chapter Romans 1. And that's when he went and beat all the idols, and then that's when the right. uncle came back and said, what's up with that? Who, who did this? He this one. The <laughs> that guy did it. He went into the, that <laughs> idol. He yeah. went into the biggest the idol. idol it's like the Thor with the hammer. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. Exactly. Then why are you doing this? Give him the gospel message. So, bottom line, I recommend it. But now that we've reviewed slightly what the book is all about, as you read through the book, you, you come to some examples, and the rabbi is very good about giving examples. So just kind of get comfy for a second while I read you an example of how this particular couple comes to understand God. Here's a true story about a tragedy that jolted the very foundation of an entire Jewish community's emunah, that's faith, in Hashem. A beautiful young lady, daughter of one of the community's most prestigious and respected families, married a, mer a righteous merchant, a man of charity and compassion. The early years of their marriage were blessed with happiness, abundance, and children. The modest wife became a wonderful mother, utilizing every free minute for her busy schedule to recite psalms or to care for the community's poor and underprivileged. The husband, whose successful commerce carried him to surrounding cities and hamlets, never failed to fulfill a strictly daily quota of prayer and Torah learning. In addition, he gave enormous amounts of charities all across the country, easing the suffering of thousands of impoverished people. Suddenly, disaster struck. Their home, a bright beacon of charity, good deeds, and loving kindness, became the scene of agony. A drunken soldier viciously abused, mutilated, and murdered the couple's three-year-old son. The entire community was appalled. Thousands joined in the morning, including the nation's leading sages and spiritual leaders. No one understood. Many vocalized the doubts in their hearts in public. Is this the reward that such a righteous couple deserves? Why did Hashem do something so horrendous like that to them? Why did the poor little toddler have to suffer so severely? Others harbored malice in their hearts against Hashem that weakened their emunah, their faith, and distanced them from Torah. I think this is a classic question 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Precisely in the Christian church. And if you if you listen to the uh, to the liberal rabbinic response, it's it's not helpful. In fact, I would say that it it, it actually maligns God. Well, the couple reacted with total emunah, total faith, capitulation loving acceptance of the divine decree. They continued with their righteous lifestyle as if nothing had changed. The wife with her acts of loving kindness and the husband with his Torah learning and magnificent charity. Shortly thereafter, tragedy struck again. Like wildfire, word spread around the town that the righteous merchant had fallen deathly ill. All of the local synagogues mobilized their members in round-the-clock prayer vigils. Everyone loved the merchant. Almost every person in town had benefited from his generosity at one time or another. Understandably, the cries of the community pierced the very thresholds of the heavens. The community beetle ran breathlessly into the town's main synagogue, where the head rabbi prayed and shouted, The doctors have given up hope. They say the end is near. The head rabbi himself, a pillar of righteousness, and a learned master of Talmudic law, declared forcefully but calmly, It shall not happen. No evil shall befall our brother, the righteous merchant. The pain and bewilderment of the entire town reached new heights when the word of the righteous merchant's death became common knowledge. Such a young man, at the prime of life, didn't he suffer enough? He did nothing but good deeds his entire life. Is this what he deserved? The tears of the young, barely 35-year-old widow tore at the community's already perplexed and agonized heart. A few years passed. One Friday afternoon, the newly married son of the young widow came to wish his mother Shabbat Shalom. She tried to smile, but burst into tears. Mama, the young man pleaded, three years have passed already. You've cried enough. Our sages prescribe set times for mourning. If someone cries more than they should, then sorrow never leaves them. We are believers. None of us can know Hashem's considerations. Everything Hashem does is for the very best Mama, your crying not only saddens us, your children, but it saddens Papa's soul, too. The matchmakers have been chasing after you with several good proposals, and you've been avoiding them. Mama, please, you must continue on with your life. The young widow took a deep breath. Enough! She made a firm resolve to overcome the sorrow. An encouraging thought flashed across her mind. Am I more merciful than Hashem? Of course not. I've always trusted Hashem, so why shouldn't I be happy? To the relief of her worried children, that very Shabbat, Mama became a new person. For the first time in years, the widow slept soundly and peacefully. She realized that a lack of emunah, a lack of faith, not her husband's absence, was responsible for the gap in her heart. Now that gap was filled again. Before I continue, I want you to know that everything that we've said and done, everything I've read up until this very point, is nothing but lead up to the serious question that I have for today. So the widow's dreaming. She had a dream. She saw herself standing in an exotic garden of supernatural beauty, and she understood that this must be the next world. Standing among the aromatic flowering trees, she saw an image of an old man with a long beard who radiated brilliantly. He approached her and asked if she'd like to see her deceased husband. 
She nodded in the affirmative. He led her to a magnificent palace where a young man was giving a Torah lecture to thousands of elderly righteous souls. When the lecture was over, the lecturer approached her. It was her husband. Dearest husband, she explained, why did you leave me alone at such an early stage in our lives? How have you become the teacher of so many tzaddikim? You were a merchant and an upright man, but you were never a Torah scholar. The husband smiled. In my former life, I was a great scholar, but I never married. When I died, I was told that I can't assume my designated place in the upper palaces of heaven because I never fulfilled the first commandment of the Torah, namely that one must be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, I was reincarnated again for the sole purpose of marrying and having children and to raise them in the path of Torah. That's exactly what I did. As soon as I completed my tikkun or correction, my soul correction and my mission on earth, I no longer had to remain down there. Now, as you see, I live a life of eternal bliss. Now, if you were raised in the Protestant church as I was, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, or otherwise, that just kind of grates you wrong. I mean, the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. It teaches resurrection. So this reincarnation stuff, <laughs> is a problem. <clears throat> and my wife and I got to this part in the book. We were at the beach at that time, and we decided that we would just put the bookmark in and put the book down. They do this a lot, right? They put the book down. So we talked about it. And my wife, for the past uh, several years, has looked to me for leadership with regard to Bible study and Torah learning. I know that's odd in today's world, but that's what she does. <laughs> so she said, uh, well, what do you think about that? What does the Bible say about reincarnation? So what did I quote? Hebrews. Hebrews, Hebrews which immediately says, it's appointed, it's appointed once for man to die, and then the reincarnation. Whoa, that's good news for modern man. The once for man to die, and then the judgment. Well, there it is. The Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. And what have I just done? Which my wife brought to my attention about two hours later. She said, you know, it's kind of odd that you, you did exactly what the church did to us when we announced that we wanted to keep the Torah. They quoted from nothing but the apostolic scriptures, and you pointed out that they had left out two-thirds of the Bible. I said, yeah. And she said, worse than that, if it is in the Bible, you just took one verse and negated an entire thought from one sentence in the apostolic scriptures. I told her that she was being a little rough and that she should take a break. <laughs> <laughs> but it, upon reflection, you know, I realized that anyone in the visible church that had told me about why I shouldn't keep the Torah, why worse, I should not eat kosher, brings up 
one verse on, out of the apostolic scriptures. We're not on the law, we're on the grace. Or if I talk about keeping Sabbaths or new moons and stuff, they bring up one verse out of there that says, <laughs> don't let any man judge you if you want, which is easy to kind of turn around if you think about it. So hang on. So I felt particularly rebuked <coughs> by my bride, which she's pretty good at. And uh, so I started studying it. I asked Pete about it, but his response was as crisp as it normally is on these matters. What did What did Peter say? I don't remember what I said. I, I might have embarrassed him. What's about to happen? He said, "Well, you're just living in tradition, the tradition of the church. You really haven't looked at it." I think he's right. So tonight, what I'd like to do is listen to what you have to say, and then listen to what you have to say, and then we'll get a little free-for-all going, and I'll make a couple of notes here, and I have three pages of doctrinal theses that I've come across in the books, the old books, on my shelf, and some of the new ones. And some of them are pretty embarrassing responses, but I do have a couple of questions that I think will make you think a little bit. And, I, and you know how I do this, right? I'm going to wait and kind of get the feel and the tenor for where you're coming, and then I'll try and argue the opposite side. And we'll see if we can't come to some conclusions here. Okay? So what we want to talk about tonight, in case you, you know, were snoozing at some point, what does the Word of God say about reincarnation? Subnote A. Do we automatically get classified as pagans if we even talk about it or think that it may be possible? How does that one verse in Hebrews work if reincarnation is a possibility in our theology? Did Christianity as a whole, from the Roman occupation onward to today, ever embrace reincarnation what do the Jews the sages of Israel Chazal, what do they say about reincarnation what did the master say about reincarnation and then finally the the be all and end all what does Rick Hergenretter say about reincarnation <laughs> which I think has to we'll really stop it out that's more let's just start with him that's, <laughs> that's, that's that'd be a short class question. short class Colby what do you got well uh, a quick thing to note about reincarnation. One, it would explain my raspy voice because God wants me to work on something in this life because I had such an amazing voice in my previous life. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it <even> worse voice. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It's going to be a mute in the next one. It was a mind, the one before. <laughs> a few things, a few things that's, I don't think that's at all what it, what it means, but a few things to note is that from my, my, my current study is that reincarnation is only for the righteous, it's not for the wicked. Okay, um, and and then also, um, reincarnate that one verse doesn't necessarily trump reincarnation. Doesn't support it, but doesn't trump it because even in the story you read, there was still a judgment, and then there was a life again. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it doesn't, good. It doesn't good point. That. Good point. Yeah. I like that. Now I'm looking for these kind of comments from all of you. Okay, so 
Colby's not claiming to be an expert. He's just saying, in my studies, I noticed this. And by the way, that note in Hebrews could still work. I like it. Well done. Thank you. You, you must be married. Look, it's already great. Be married. That's it. That's it. Well, actually, I don't want to talk about reincarnation. I want to. I want to challenge you on your logic. Okay. Not to challenge your wife in any way. But what you introduced was a straw man. An argument of silence is not an argument. And one verse against silence doesn't negate it or otherwise. And to compare it to the argument of one verse against the Torah is is like extremes. I mean, the Torah, we have volumes and volumes and volumes of telling us what to do, and we find one verse that tells us not to, as opposed to an argument of silence, and we have one verse that seems to teach against that teaching. So from a logical perspective, and we're going to use the Bible as our logic book, Absolutely. we have to say that the Bible provides zero logical evidence for reincarnation. Well, we need to see if that's actually true, but uh, I used to, five years ago, when this class started, six years ago? Five years ago. I used to be able to get, get by with a straw man argument and nobody noticed. So there it is. Bible is silent, question mark. And we'll see if in fact it is, because I've got a couple of things to raise there. I, I approached this thinking the Bible was absolutely silent other than the refutation in Hebrews. Let's see if that's true. One other thing. I personally think that that verse in Hebrews is ripped horribly out of context. Really? It's it is. Not what, what do you think the context about. is? I don't, I don't Let's not think about the context. Let's read it. Um, it's talking about Yeshua. It says, otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. They're comparing Yeshua and his one death to the repeated oh, offering of the, actually I think specifically there, the Yom Kippur offering. Right, the year. Yes. You would need to have suffered often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes judgment, so Messiah also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation, without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So the context there is actually not a discussion of eternality or of... Um, the resurrection, or of really anything that has to do with death, aside from the fact that, generally speaking, people die once, and Messiah also died once. I would argue the general versus appointed seems to be a different concept. Well, the thing about this, though, is that it's it's treated like it's a. I guess what I think about it is it's treated like it's a rule, like this is the way that it is appointed once to die. Right. And therefore, that means that like there's no other way of looking at that, period. However, um, we don't have any evidence specific that's explicit that says that Elijah has died or will die, or Enoch, nor do we have any evidence that says one way or the other that Lazarus didn't die twice, or insert any of the other people who raised from the dead. It, which means that the verse has serious holes as if you're going to treat it as a catch-all descriptor. 
Now, another verse that actually I think would be more intriguing from this perspective is Yeshua's argument back to the Sadducees regarding resurrection. Right. Because in that verse, he cites that he, the Sadducees, of course, don't agree with resurrection, and more importantly, were primarily focused on the first five books. They dismissed the prophets as authoritative. So Yeshua, in an effort to bring up a slam-dunk argument on... Um, on the Sadducees, says that God is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not, therefore, the God of the dead, but of the living. Yeah, I would, I would argue and, and, and stop you there by saying that that certainly teaches resurrection. Right. Not necessarily reincarnation. But he singled out three individual persons yes. as their, and their connection to God. Yes. Which I think creates some issues if you think about the idea. Like they teach that, I mean, they, I've even heard the teaching that Moses' soul resurrected or reincarnated, so that he is the, the, the soul of Messiah. So if that, if the idea, in other words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not necessarily perfected, per se, in but, that one round. But I think the verse is speaking of resurrection, that well, they're alive. But I do think He's that not it the raises some questions. Actually, about it's in the present tense. They're not. They're not will be alive. That's resurrection. They are alive. That's what I said. They are alive. But that's not resurrection. They are alive. Well, it means they've been resurrected. No, they are alive. They died. If they are alive, then they were resurrected. Not yet. Huh. Well, that's an interesting question. Exactly. He'd argue it's more exactly. Which, no, no, wait. Because that actually does throw another chink in the whole thing. Because we have a linear view of time. And the notion that there is reincarnation is extremely dependent upon a linear view of time. Right. Mm. And and that is a Greek that is a Greek introduction to logic that didn't exist in the in the intertestament and before period. That, that that time is linear. And that's why the whole concept of bliss being formulated, at least understood and spoken about in the intertestament period, right. was devoid of the discussion of Reincarnation, because during that period they had not yet succumbed to the concepts of Greek philosophy, which said time was linear, which is the whole point for reincarnation. You have to die first and then come back again. That's 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 phased. It's well, not. It could be. Um, some reincarnation proponents would talk about a circular thing rather than a linear thing, but I get it. I get it. That's that's good. I, I'm, it's a, it's a I'm just trying to understand. Um, see, because like when I hear, it's not possible like, to understand. Like God, <laughs> like, like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. So that that sounds like if you if you think about each of those those three men, and you think about their three souls, like it just doesn't. I guess I'm 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 having trouble understanding like how you could suggest that either one of those three souls could be. Reincarnated as someone else, since like God is actually named you're, after those three. You're assuming that there's someone else. That's something you brought to the table, right? Well, that you get reincarnated as someone else. So today you're Bob, tomorrow you're Jim. Well, that was the story. How about if you're Bob today and you're Bob tomorrow? No, that was the story. The story was he was a merchant, but previously right. he hadn't been a merchant. Right. The, the, every time. But I've he heard wasn't a different, necessarily a different person. If okay. he was the same soul. And was perfecting that same soul, right? I don't know. Personhood, personhood demands de it demands satiency. I mean, there's no way that you're unconscious of your personhood. Right, right, right. So yeah, well that 
I, I, every time I've heard reincarnation, it's always as somebody different. Well, now you've heard reincarnation. Did you hear that from the Hindus or no, where did you hear Judaism. it? Oh, from the Judaism. Okay. okay. That's a classic example. Like okay. Israel was saying, it's all it's like somebody different. Sometimes it'll be like, oh, they got there. They were they were a rabbi or they came or, back or, as a baby. Okay. Yeah. Well, so so they're a different type of person <laughs> or a different <laughs> occupation, but not necessarily a different soul. It was well, exactly the same name. soul. It's never, it's never a different soul. That's the whole point of yeah. reincarnation. I, I get it. I'm but his, <coughs> his point is, like, would Abraham come back to someone with a different name? Exactly. And or and a different sense. body, which wouldn't make any sense. But the whole point of reincarnation is that you would come back as other people. But right. it's the same soul. And that just gets to the idea of what is a person. Well, is the person... Is the person the, combo, the, the body and the, the name combo, the side, or is it just the soul? That's kind because of because if it's good, because that's 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 good. Good. Well, yeah, the whole thing. Because right. if it is the soul and God is named after three, then you would assume they would be constant because God doesn't change. Those souls. That my, that's what I was so, saying. So I, I might be confused. The but souls wouldn't change, but those people, so the people could change. Are real people, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Whether their souls were put into other bodies doesn't really change what they did. Although would, I think it would change the, that he's present tense does kind of infer. So in still. the resurrection, which body? <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. So which body be raised? That's Yeshua's question. I get you. Yeah. The question given to Yeshua in the resurrection, yeah. which one will he be married to? That's right. She be married. She be married. Other comments? These are great. These are great questions. Actually, that would be my biggest. Concern is in the is in the world to come. No, the, the resurrection. Because, Absolutely. like one of the thing, one of the one of the primary arguments um, for Paul, and granted, this is this is apostolic writing. I get that, but Paul's one of his primary arguments in First Corinthians when he's talking about re, uh, resurrection is that that it, it's essential to our faith. Absolutely. It doesn't make it's, sense without it. But reincarnation challenges the idea of. The How body strong. as being resurrected, required, and, and as as being rel as it being like so relevant because the, re the essentially you could have nineteen bodies, but only but which one is resurrected or do none of them okay. resurrected? So so this again is a straw man argument because the fact that you don't know how it's going to work in the resurrection doesn't negate it. It certainly is a question about my mother-in-law. Although it's not, a strong, my, it's not a strong man because we're talking, we're talking yeah. one, one or the other, resurrection or reincarnation. Right. Resurrection in Judaism is, is seen as the ultimate sign of God's power. Absolutely. Resurrection. So when, if reincarnation is promoted, resurrection is most certainly demoted in importance. Not if it happens before the resurrection. If tikkun is the idea. So the, the question that comes up. Well, what's resurrected is a body. Absolutely, without question. So the question from my from my wife regarding my mother-in-law is: Does she get resurrected in the body she had when she died, that had shrunk down to sixty pounds because she was eaten alive by cancer, lost all her hair? Is that the body, or is it the body that I met when I asked? She and her husband, if I could marry their daughter. Neither, but Corinthians 15 tells you it's not the same. Well, it is the same, and that's the resurrection. No, it says it's he was it. resurrected in the same body. It is perfected, but it is the First same Corinthians tells body. us 
1 Corinthians 15 tells us specifically that what's sown is not what is resurrected. It's not the same thing. The whole idea of the resurrection is that Yeshua was raised in exactly the same body and we will be raised just like him is what it says in 1 well, Corinthians 15. Well, raised in the same body. I'm sorry? It doesn't actually say he was raised. Oh, it most assuredly does. And he did not lie. He showed them the stigmata. He did. But it's exactly the same. Technically, that's a technical. Whether or not it worked for him that way does not mean it will work for us that way. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says we will be raised just as he. How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? Right. You foolish person. I mean, he's actually challenging (laughs) us. Yeah. That we're asking this question. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps a wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as it is chosen, and to each its own seed of its each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is only one kind of human, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Keep going. There is one glory of the sun and there's a glory of the moon. There's a glory of the stars and stars differ from their glory. So what is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It doesn't say it's different. It just says it's different quality. It's sown in... Absolutely. It's the same person. Here's my point. Well, a body is, person. What's the person? The body I, no, no. or the soul? I believe the Bible teaches the person is the body. Well, keep reading. I mean, it says we will be it raised is, just it as It is sown as a natural body. It is raised as a spiritual body. That's not the same. It is a natural body. There, There is a natural body, and there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, came to be a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the dust, as was the man of the dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What verse you have to? That's up to 49. verse 49. Good. I'm looking for 50, 51, and then beyond. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Right. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we but we shall be changed. Be changed. For in a moment, a twinkling of eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will raise imperishable, and we shall be changed. So, the body is not a different body. It's a changed body. Absolutely. But it's the same body. But yes, in the sap, in the fact that there's scattered bits of dust mm. that are uh, that are assembled by the miracle of God, which is the reason why it is the evidence of His power, right? But what will it look like? What will it be like? Okay, so to, to talk about uh, talk about the imprints in His hands and of His side as yes. being an indicator. That we'll have the same scars that we have now is is again not necessarily what this is saying. The fact that he was given a different body than the one he had would deny the resurrection. Absolutely, because no, that's no. what Paul says. No, no, that, no. So no, if I, he's got the same but body but and it is just glorified, but he's mock, mocking, now no longer susceptible to but sin. But he's mocking people that think that the same that the body that will be raised will somehow, as the question came, will she be sickly? He's like, what, are you crazy? No. 
Well, it's, it's also like he died literally with holes and blood coming out of his hands. Does that mean he'll be raised with holes and blood coming out of his hands? He, he was. That doesn't necessarily, because I think actually 1 Corinthians teaches exactly the opposite. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you both. But I don't want to argue resurrection tonight. I want to argue resurrection. No, but, but you have to argue resurrection when you talk about Well, let's just say that we will be raised and see if we can leave it there. These are good points, Rick. Thank you. And I wrote them down. They're good. They're good points in and of themselves, but they also we don't have a you know close to a you know, full understanding of the Jewish perspective of reincarnation. Yeah, you have to tell me what you mean by when you say Jewish. I don't actually have to tell you. So I think that um, it's it's a scary it's scary to prop up all our arguments against this teaching, since we don't, since we don't know it, and so, but to respond to the resurrection, um, to the resurrection of the reincarnated person, I know that um, Shimon Bar Yochai is apparently who they say said. Of course, he's been much older. Okay, I'm going to need you to speak up because I don't know if he can even hear you, and it's certainly not going to be helpful. Says that. Um, says that the parts of the soul that were. When the body did the mitzvah, that part of the soul is rectified, right? And so that's the reason it gets reincarnated because you missed the mitzvah, you did it, and then get commitment. So you go and do it in the body. But it says during the resurrection, the soul is is basically spread across all the bodies because whatever body did the mitzvah in, that body gets raised with that part of the soul. So the answer to the question is that all of those bodies are getting raised. Not just the last one or just the first one or whatever, just to answer that. That all so, the people will be resurrected. All the people will be resurrected. I don't so, think there's a question in this reincarnation versus resurrection. I, mean, I don't see those as at odds with each other yet. Yeah, you don't, but that that's good. And I'm I'm working on that. So I'm just thinking if I was a louse, but of course the, the sages say that resurrection a res well, both resurrection and reincarnation are only for the righteous. I get that. So if I'm if I'm moving kind of slow on this righteousness track, then there literally could be 613 Joe's which is kind of scary if you think about it. Here, but not just Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Squitrini, Bill Squitrini. <laughs> always has the Squitrini last name, though. Come on. It's, it's got to be that way. Yeah. Squitrini is actually Once the name soul. changes, it'll yeah. be a final <laughs> cocoon. That's his boat right there, right? Shmuel, <laughs> well, I think I'm going to change my name. New name. To what? Shmuel <laughs> Squitrini. What else? So, the question of reincarnation, uh, I think myself included, we don't have any idea what we're talking about um, because, I mean, we think of reincarnation and we immediately think of Hinduism, Absolutely. Et Speak for yourself. So I don't think of Hinduism. I actually think of Judaism and I've studied it. So the reincarnation denying resurrection is not correct because thir one of the principles of Maimonides in 13 affirms resurrection. resurrection. Oh, no, I Moreover, there is pretty much reincarnation is central to, to modern day Judaism. Okay, so so let me put in a couple of parenthetical statements as you continue. 
you guys may not believe that reincarnation and resurrection are incompatible if you study Judaism and you recognize the 13 principles, etc. But some of the people watching right now, or some of the people that are going to listen to this in three years, are hoping that you're going to bring some clarity. So, but again, a lot of this is speculative, and whenever you listen to a lecture on reincarnation by any of the rabbis, unless you're reading The Gates of Reincarnation, which is a book by uh, Arizal, then there's so much out there that it's so mystical that it's really hard to, you know, in a class to even begin to understand it. Um, so I'll just say I know very little about it, but what I do know are just a lot of interesting questions and factoids. Um, so, for example, um, you had asked at the beginning of the class, was there anyone in, in Christianity who ever believed in reincarnation? And yes. Um, there are a lot of implicit statements in the Church Fathers that could point to reincarnation, for example, in Augustine. Um, and one of the most explicit persons was Origen, who openly affirmed... Wow, I have him right down here. Openly affirmed reincarnation. Um, I mean... Egyptian, what do you expect? Um, Because they believed in it doesn't make it right. Whether it was what what the modern Judaism believes about reincarnation is a totally different subject. All right, so let me put in another parenthetical statement. I'm not trying to come to a conclusion on reincarnation tonight. I'm trying to get myself past a built-in theological speed bump because of my history. I want to be able to at least read about it without putting the book on the table and going, maybe I shouldn't read that. That's where I want to get tonight. Do you see where I'm coming from? It's not to become an expert on reincarnation. It's hard to believe that could happen out of this room, especially with me standing there. It's just hard to believe. I also don't want to deny some of the tenets of the faith that I believe in strongly. That may sound like I don't have an open mind, but there are some things that I have become convinced of. And according to the scriptures, I should be convinced of some things, and I think I still am convinced of those. So if this is completely incompatible with what I believe, then I'd like to draw the line in the sand and not talk about it anymore. But if it, if there is a compatibility, if there's something that can be talked about, that's where I'm coming from tonight. Okay. So uh, one of the points that, that I mean, immediately comes to my, well, did come to my mind in the past regarding reincarnation and one of the potential problems of it is, well, then what did Jesus do? Why, why did, what was the point of his death? If it's a substitutionary atonement death, but the purpose of reincarnation in Judaism is soul correction, then what's the point of an eternal atonement? That well, seems to be one of the biggest issues for me. Well, I, I can help you with that one, because well, I've already gotten past that's, that. That's one. great. But, because um, if it's only for the righteous, well, and it's only for those that are a part of the faith and have a relationship with God, and it is God who is causing the reincarnation and the opportunity to work on soul perfection and tikkun, then that that fits in our theology. If it's outside of God's purview, that's ridiculous to begin with. Yeah. So then, just a couple of just kind of some things I thought about with regard to Yeshua's ministry 
of you know trying to figure out what did Yeshua actually believe about life after death. Um, I think it's a really speculative realm. But so we have some pretty interesting statements, though. For example, not just the one about him talking to the, the Sadducees. Um, he has a statement that Rick comes, that Rick brought up a couple weeks ago when talking to a couple people about um, John the Baptist that he is Elijah if you can accept it. So like. It's not hard to accept it if he's saying he's like Elijah, or he's dressed like Elijah, or he reminds me of Elijah's mannerisms. As he I even eats <laughs> what Elijah eats. <laughs> yeah. Same diet. Yeah. So, but he says he is Elijah, and that's what the, the Greek does equate them. And then there's a qualifying statement of some may not be, if you can accept it, meaning some may not accept this. Likewise, you have... Um, Yeshua sitting with his disciples saying, who do you say that I am? And some people are like, well, you, some people say Elijah. It's, it's, it's an assumed public belief of the common folk that he might be Elijah or one of the prophets or John the Baptist, by the way, who just died. Right. <laughs> and there's not necessarily any theological speed bumps with that. And Yeshua right. isn't like, what, what, are you crazy? I Man. can't be, those guys, they're dead. They're gone. Matthew 16, 13 through 14, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who did the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, who would really want to be resurrected? I mean, reincarnated as Jeremiah. I mean, that's, 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 that's tough. Why would they mention anyone from the past unless there was some understanding or teaching, right or wrong, or... Malachi. Malachi. So, yeah, so yeah. There's a... So, uh, so yeah, that's good. And let me throw an origin, and then I'll let you go, Pete. Well, can I come like, like, Yeah, I mean, I know. I'll come back. I'll come back. I just was a parenthetical statement again. The first great father of the early Orthodox Church, uh, Origen, 185 to 254. First person since Paul to develop a system of theology around the teachings of Jesus. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds okay time-wise. August, Augustine. Does Origen. Yeah. Well, August. Augustine. 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 Yeah. yeah. Origen was an ardent defender of pre-existence and reincarnation. He's Egyptian. I wrote, really? Pre-existence is the religious concept of the soul as not being created at birth. Rather, the soul existed before birth in heaven or in a past life on earth. I don't know if that's what Origen believed. But he taught that pre-existence is found in the Hebrew scriptures and the teachings of Jesus. That's pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Go ahead. So then the kind of the last... Last thing, um, you have Herod when he, it's kind of the same thing as, you know, who do you say that I am? But Herod finds out that Yeshua is walking around and he's like, so this guy is walking around and Herod's like, oh man, he's, this is John the Baptist. Even though he had just killed John the Baptist not too long ago. And so Personally, I had the head taken out. Well, no, he's this guy, he's this guy. But Herod's like, no, he's John the Baptist. And so it's, again, there's this just common understanding well, but that doesn't make it right, right? It so there, there could be a common understanding of reincarnation, and, and the pagan Romans could have believed it. Well, but, but everyone I just mentioned was Jewish. Ex until you got to Alaska. Herod's Jewish. Jewish. But uh, legally, Come he on. was Jewish. Give me a break. So, All right. But Origen also, his his take on that. Origen, Origen wasn't Jewish either. Oh, come I know on. he's not Jewish, but his... Since when we pick it up, Origen is our standard. 
<laughs> no, origin. I was going There's, to say his I, understanding of theology was mostly Judaic. Not, well, oh, no, he's Greek. Mostly Judaic when he started. That's where he got it from. It's platonic. And yeah, huge. No, no question about yeah. it. So but, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily want to you know, throw my rock at him. No. <laughs> Me neither. But, but you, you have to wonder where he got stuff from. Yeah. And then it got, I, I would say, polluted. He's right. So before you go, let me let me just say that it seems obvious just from the scriptures and from the historical stuff that reincarnation was being talked about back then, and it's not something two weeks ago. Right. right so listen to a couple things here, and then I'll take some more comments. So this uh, this one apologist says that the whole thrust of the Bible opposes reincarnation. It shows that man is the special creation of God, created in God's image with both a material body and an immaterial soul and spirit. He's presented as distinct and unique from all the other creatures, angels, and the animal kingdom alike. The Bible teaches that at death, while man's body is mortal, decays and returns to dust, his soul and spirit continue on, either in a place of torment, or those who, for those who reject Messiah, or in paradise, in God's presence for those who have trusted in the Savior. Both categories of people will be resurrected, one to eternal judgment, the other to eternal life with a glorified body, John chapter 5. The emphatic statement of the Bible, as will be pointed out below, which I did not copy, is that it is appointed unto a man once to die and after that to judgment. Well, there it is. It's done. <laughs> the okay. entire Bible summed up in a That's verse. right. Let's take that verse out of the equation. <laughs> this statement and the concept that mankind's creation in God's image is unique from the animals and even angels stand totally opposed to the idea of reincarnation. And now we see where he's coming from. Dying and coming back as another person or in the form of an animal or an insect. That's not Judaism. And that's not what we're talking about. That's so. Then uh, Dr. Ron Rhodes, you may be familiar with him, an apologist, uh, actually went to school here. He's got 10 points that just, I mean, we, we might, we're going to read these 10 points and want to go home, and we're done. Number one, it, reincarnation, that's right, reincarnation is contradicted in the scripture. Where? There you go. Hebrews 9, of course. Number two. <laughs> it, when we took that out of the equation, we can't use that one anymore. Number two, it's contradicted by Orthodox tradition in all Churches, all of them, all of them, not every one of them. Forty-six thousand. Number three, reincarnation reduces the incarnation of Messiah to an appearance, because he's putting the incarnation in a reincarnation. It's still significant because of who it is. Nor is there any evidence that he was. Reincarnated. In fact, the scriptures teach us just the opposite, that he reduced himself and did this for the very first and only time. Number four, it implies that God made a mistake no. by designing souls to live in bodies and having to go through this merry-go-round. I added that on Dr. Do anything he wants. Number five, it's, this is my favorite. It's contradicted by... He was not again. <laughs> it's contradicted by psychology and common sense. Because it denies the natural. We just need to stop now. Wait a minute. I mean, he just that was slam dunk. We can't go. Because further. it denies the natural psychosomatic unity. 
Psychosomatic? Please! What did you say? That's the first time, that's the only argument he's ever heard. When is I that asked, this denies common sense. That's, that's what they say. I don't remember any past life, so therefore I didn't have any. Number six, it entails a very low view of the body as a prison or a punishment. So Judaism doesn't teach that either. Numbers, it is a strong one. Number seven, it usually blames sin on the body, confusing sin with ignorance. What? It is a red hair. That's right. Oh, wait, same sin in the body. Like the sin, like, no. It, it, the whole point is the sin of the soul. Number eight, the idea of reincarnation to learn lessons we fail to learn is contrary, what? To common sense and educational psychology. What? Did we really repeat that one? No, no, no. The That's last one was psychosomatic was unity. Psychosomatic this one's got educational psychology because. Uh, you can't learn what you don't remember. Number nine. Evidence of memories from past lives. Evidence of memories from past lives, which I guess is important. If you're talking about well, reincarnation. Only in, like, I think, more New Age traditions. Exactly. Evidence of memories from past lives can be explained by, get this, <laughs> mental telepathy from others. What? Living, living, <laughs> living or dead? Yes. Oh, oh, oh! Or <laughs> demons? Wait, necromancy. <laughs> wow, he's really gone off the reservation. Yeah. And then finally, number ten: it. reincarnation cannot account for itself. How did it start? Because you see, he's taking the whole started. thing, like Joshua just pointed out, of being this whole pagan deal. Where nobody's in charge and you just keep coming well, back. Well, that is the most predominant reincarnation. He's of not course. addressing Judy. Judy exactly right. right. Number 11b, it contradicts the scripture. Hebrews. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's a couple of things from the scripture. So just before the rest of you make your comments, and I will come back to you if you're not done. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5 8. How do you explain that? If I'm going to be reincarnated, if I haven't perfected my soul, if I haven't done the proper tshuva, well, how could I be present with the Lord? I answered that. Well, you, of course you're going to be present with the Lord, and he's going to sit down with you and go, didn't you know you were a Taurus caller? We've got 23 more to work on. See you when you get back. To me, that works. It was a bright light. It was a bright light. Absence of the body. If you're reincarnated, you are, again, present with the body. That's right. That's right. Messiah told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, not coming back as a better guy who wasn't a thief. Although, he was weak. Although then he says, I have not yet ascended three days later. To a different person, not to the thief. Right, no, but right, same. Different stories for different people. Yeah, different stories, different people. Okay. Maybe they went to paradise and he came back. Right. But the people asked John if he was Elijah, and he said emphatically, no. I am not. It wasn't his servant's book. That's not. So it was John. <laughs> I, I don't know. You don't yeah. remember that line. <laughs> this one I like. Listen to this. This is from Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. He that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. That's in the uh, authorized version. The statement, he shall go no more out, suggests that the norm, that is the usual expectation, is that. They do go out repeatedly. This repeated going out stops only, I love this, listen, for those who have overcome. 
those who have conquered all sins, those who have passed the last judgment and have gained full spiritual maturity. I like that. That, that works for me. I like that. I'll leave it at that. Did you have anything else? No, not right now. Because I, I want to give you that opportunity because I interrupted you three times. Okay. okay, you're good. I just want to revisit Taylor's point. Oh, good! Because I... Which one? He made like 15. His first, which is also mine, The my hesitation with all of reincarnation, which you said you'd already figured out, which I'd like to hear, is... Um, <laughs> Is I think it completely ousts Messiah if you believe in Messiah as a substitutionary atonement. Thing. And you know, let me yeah, just explain, yeah, yeah. just for the uninitiated, not that I am, is that my understanding of reincarnation is that it is uh, it is a way of perfecting people. Right. So everybody do this while he talks, right? So you you will have uh, you're born. That's it. That's right. You're born, and then you don't keep all all six hundred and thirteen, which we know some of those are. Women, some of those are priests, and everything like that. some of those are not possible outside the land. Right. So, six hundred thirteen. You have to keep all six hundred thirteen, and any ones you don't keep would then be would be given another chance. Another opportunity. Uh, so, that's when, when you're all finished, Lord willing, you have you don't come back again. You're you're then perfect. You're perfect. So I don't see where the need. For well, you're in the image of Messiah. Right. You could say that. I could. I did. But so, but, and I'm still very fuzzy on, on that whole thing. But so what is, how does Messiah fit into that? Because it doesn't seem like, like it, the, the Messiah paradigm that I come from, my upbringing, was that you are not perfect when you die, and Messiah kind of like. Makes it right. Yeah, makes it right. And so then you wouldn't come back to fix the stuff you weren't. Perfect on because of Messiah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I get that. So let me. I'm going to do this really quick. Do you want to answer that? No. Just and and Messiah himself didn't keep all six thirteen because he didn't. He wasn't a woman. He didn't get married. He wasn't a free. Yeah. I mean, like you yeah. I, I do believe that Judaism makes it count for you were a guy, not a woman. Therefore, you can't do the woman. You could come back as a woman. You but, could, but I, I but, I've not read that. So, but then okay. So. So you, I, I've never. The only the stuff that I've read in the little little bit of reading I've done has been, you had opportunity and you did not. But Hillel, Hillel was a was from the house of David, right? And and tradition says that he was Aaron. So there's there is an opportunity for transfer going between tribes. Sure. So the whole notion that you're not going to get keep all six hundred thirteen is not true. It's it's a possibility. You know, but male to female, that's, I think, a little different. But, again, in what I've read, it's not all 613. It's in the life you had opportunities and you missed some or you missed the opportunity. We've got another example in the book about a kid who dies right after his Brit uh, Milan, uh, right, his circumcision. Because when he was born, he was like Peter. He was jaundiced, so his circumcision was put off until he was not jaundiced. So he, yes, he he, he was circumcised, but not on the eighth day. So he, so he had to come back, and circumcised on the eighth day. Bada bing, we got it all done. You know, because I mean that's how I finished the rest of the book. Anyway, so in my mind, 
it does not deny Messiah or reduce his work in that a place in the world to come is provided only by the finished work and faith in Messiah Yeshua. Why? So that you can have that place in the world to come. Now, in the meantime, we are commanded as those who are in Messiah to live righteous lives. I know, I know, I know all that. But why would you need Messiah to get into the world to come? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's perfect people. Over time, but they've still sinned in the past. The whole, well, the whole doctrine. It gives them the opportunity to keep all the mitzvot. Is that your soul is blemished where you sin, and it becomes rectified? Yes. So, I've I've not read anywhere so far. Again, I'm new at this. That this concept has anything to do with having a place in the world to come. It always appears, as we said in the very first one, you have a place in the world to come. But you still have time before the world to come begins to perfect and do tikkun. That's how I'm working with it right now. You had a comment? Yeah, just a quick thing in our, in our study. One thing is that we've always studied theology with holes in them. And it's interesting when Pete and I were talking about this, just going into Judaism. Judaism, and I feel confident saying Judaism doesn't have any holes in their theology which is one of the reasons that there may not be that much study on substitutionary atonement or Messiah and things like that. Like, Judaism doesn't have holes in it, but we are used to studying theology with holes in it. Well, it's, it's the Greek mindset to put together a systematized theology. That's what creates the holes. And there, you know, you, it's hard to create a fabric that doesn't tear somewhere. They don't do that. They'll sit down and one guy will say, we believe this. And the other guy will deliberately say, we believe just the opposite. And they're both right. And they're both right. And they'll argue it all day long. And then write down the argument and then put it in the Talmud. And then you'll have a Christian say, the Talmud, no, it's, it's straight out of the pit of hell. It smells like smoke. It's burnt. And you're like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's, it's just arguments on, and discussions on, on both sides, which you're exactly right. Yes, too. Well, can we go back to the very beginning of the year? It was one of my first times coming here. It was probably December, January, something like that. We were talking about how, um, what was Yeshua doing um, after his death? Right. Well, some people were saying, not not here, but, you know, people were saying, you know, well, he went, he to, went hell. to hell. Yeah, he, he was talking to those who didn't make it. Right, so, right, right. Well, we've, we've gotten our chance. Adam and Eve had our chance to, you know, have perfect perfection but they didn't take it so this is our one life our one last chance to take it so when Yeshua comes back he did what we did that's a good take we just don't know if that's true maybe you get another take and another take if you're in Messiah if you're not in Messiah the wicked the scripture is clear are going to perish we don't know if you're in Messiah then you got your chance and you took it if I'm in Messiah, then I'm commanded right now to walk out this life in righteousness. Yes. So how about if I don't do well from now in Messiah until the day I die? So now what happens to me from now until Messiah returns and we have the resurrection? What happens? Well, um, you, you say, wait, hold on. Go, go back. I'm now in Messiah. Yes. 
and I'm commanded to walk in righteousness. I'm commanded to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. I am being conformed by him, and I am conforming myself, working together into the image of Messiah. So I do the best I can until the day he takes me home. Yes? We agree. Now, what happens from the day I die until Messiah comes and the resurrection happens? That's what we're talking about. There is time. No, there isn't. Yeah, there is. I mean, you can deny it all you want, but there is time. (laughs) If I die today, no, 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 no. There is time, and that's the question. If there is time between the day I die, like my mother's yard site is coming up in two weeks, from the day she died until now, there has been time. She could have been correct, and that's what I'm talking about. So if she's in time, if she's put back in time and given an opportunity to correct some of the things that she didn't do, that's all we're talking about. It doesn't deny the need for Messiah. It doesn't deny the resurrection. And it doesn't deny the simple fact that I'm commanded to be righteous, and I have messed up. That's all. Do I agree with that? I don't know yet, but that's the point. Going back to Peter's question about the um, the necessity for Messiah yeah. in that scenario, I, I feel like to me, I think I get what you're saying here. I think that I think about Paul's statement that says, "Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling." Yeah. The idea being that, and yet he's conforming us, so it's a right, double. Right. So, yeah. The idea being though that, um, in the same way that I am supposed to be growing in my in my righteousness. Not just living righteously, but actually becoming more like Messiah yes. day by day um, in this life, theoretically, could be repeated in another round of life. Not to say that, that as you pointed out, not to say that it was... Because I think Judaism doesn't need substitutionary atonement, doesn't argue for that. Therefore, if we take reincarnation and swallow it whole from Judaism... No, there's no need for Messiah because in Judaism there is no need for Messiah to do there's that. There's no need for Messiah as we've understood in the Right, that is not yet. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. So you're right. In, it, in some sense, they have they have a they have a different perspective on the need for Messiah than necessarily what the Christian Church does. So because of that, then I would I would dismiss swallowing it whole. However, sure. it doesn't mean you can't swallow 99 percent of it and say, well, in this area we disagree, but in the rest of it it makes sense. Yeah. For whatever reason, yeah. so I would now, really like to hear so, more now, of the biblical reasons why Judaism. Yeah, now, hang on. If you got to that point, then, then to me, we're we're already, I think, in a healthy position. We're at least willing to talk about it. That's what I love about Jews. Let's talk about Messiah, and they talk about Messiah. And we go back and forth and argue one way or the other. At least we'll talk about it. But face it, you felt what I felt, didn't you? Absolutely. See, we went to church together before we met you guys. We met like this before you guys met. I got you. So you hear it, and you're like, they're going down that path. I mean, we, we can't come anymore. It's <laughs> not real. I mean, that's what we used to do. I, I know we have to break fellowship. I mean, it's, 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 a, non, I mean, it's, a, it's a fundamental of the faith. It's a non-negotiable. It's a, we can't do it. We can't talk about it. I want to talk about it. And I like what, the way you just put it. Like, hook, line, and sinker? No way. 99%? Even 60%, 40%, whatever percent it is. There are some concepts there that seem... Intriguing. Intriguing. Because why would they think that he was somebody from the past and he didn't rebuke them? He was pretty good at rebuking. How come he didn't say anything? What about that Elijah thing? 
Was Elijah John or not John? Well, wait a second. Wait, wait. Something's wrong. John was there. Elijah shows up on the mountain. Whoa, wait a minute. Was that Elijah in the body, or was that just the spirit? Was that the soul? That was after John died. I think that was John Elijah. Oh, come on. How long after? I mean, it's still, it's still warm. Are you kidding? You get where I'm coming from? So there's a lot of there's a lot of a rub there. No, right, so I got you next, and then I got you. But I do want to give you an opportunity. So where's, where's your head? I mean, it, uh, nowhere. Because I, I just it, it's so far Bam. off the radar screen. Yeah, I'm just not even prepared. Yeah. Kenya has, and I ask this, you know, very um, sincerely. When when uh, when I was when I was a younger man and I was tainted by him. Like tainted. Man. Oh yeah. I uh, I actually I actually called Scott on the phone and I said uh, so this is uh, this 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 is where we're at now. What do you think of this? And that is what started our walk in Torah was that Scott and I argued it out and we looked at the scripture and we came to the conclusion. Odd as it may seem, Rick Spurlock's correct. Wow. Who knew? I was only right once. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good place to be right. <laughs> it was. And and I think that my call to you was based on our previous history that we would approach it as we did the whole end times thing that this is what the scripture teaches. Well, this is what the church is teaching. This is what the wackos are teaching. We have the scriptures. Can't we come up with what we think the scripture says? And let's examine it. And I don't really think reincarnation or my belief in it has anything to do with my day-to-day walk. I may be wrong about that, but could it possibly affect what I do each day? I'm going to love you any way I can. I'm going to walk out my salvation with fear and trembling. I I don't... I'm not. I'm not working the reincarnation game at all. If anything, and it is true, I want to keep the next one pretty short. So, I'm able to at least dialogue about it. Are you there? Oh yeah. yeah. Good. Good. All right. I got him first. Him first, and then you. Yeah. And then I thought there was one more. Go ahead. Sir. Well, I mean, you were talking about was it you? coming from a Christian background that we really don't have a concept of this, and. and or, or, or like the uh, like the good doctor, we're going to argue it against a pagan theory. Sure, and you know, and I appreciate Scott's position as well. But I went through this a long time ago, and and when I started looking at Judaism and reincarnation, my first, first of all, when I left the way that my fathers had taught me, uh, and began to look at things differently, the first and foremost thing that I determined was I was no longer going to believe. I was going to do. And the concept of doctrines that do not result in good works or the or the ceasing of sin is just a waste of time. So when I started reading about Hasidic Judaism's view of reincarnation, the first thing that struck me was how odd. This has so little bearing on you just said it. Am I going to walk differently? No. So this has so little bearing on anything. This sounds like a a doctrine, a tradition, not a not necessarily a bad tradition, but a tradition that is 
founded upon a doctrine that's meant to explain things, but it doesn't really do anything. It, it doesn't affect the walk. It doesn't affect the walk. So if, if so anything, when I started, it makes you want to walk better. So because I'm because I'm a student of history, my first view was, well, okay, I can read the Bible, and I obviously you know we can pick and choose, and the and the and simply because John the Baptist might have been reincarnated, maybe, but just because it happens once doesn't mean it happens as a regular thing. Exactly. Okay? Uh, just like hey, look, uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead, and he most certainly died again. Uh, so you know, but it hasn't happened often, right? Okay, so we so we could say that simply because it happens, or we have scriptural evidence of something similar, doesn't necessarily explain it being widespread Correct. or a system. And that's the key. I want to focus on the idea of it being a system, because that is not Judaism. Judaism doesn't approach things systematically. This seems to be a system. And so when I started reading, I found out the Talmud has nothing to say of reincarnation, zero. It's like, well, where did this come from? And it's not until after Rambam. That it actually starts sprouting up. Well, you, Interestingly you enough, usually attached to either a a, uh, a strong Eastern European view of magic, and or Hasidic Judaism, right. uh, and that's and that's where it is become widespread. And you said the right word, modern Judaism. It's become widespread in modern Judaism, but it came from Hasidic Judaism. The talk of Shimon Bar Yochai, great talk. Who knows? Maybe it's true. The problem is nobody talked in, in the Talmud days about Shimon Bar Yochai that way. Right. So why is the Talmud, why is, if it is so important, why does the Talmud have nothing to say about it? Why, does, why do the intertestament writings, which Judaism may or may not, at least scholarly Judaism, takes as, as important, why do they not talk about it? So Josephus wrote... About the Pharisees, I don't know if Josephus wrote this. I'm quoting somebody. I have all of everything that Josephus wrote. In fact, I think it's all on my iPad, too. So even in the absence of the Internet, we can check this. But this is what this guy wrote. Josephus wrote. Now, why am I bringing up Josephus based on his comment? He was a second, second, second he's, temple. He's back here, right? Okay, he's a historian, right? So Josephus wrote about the Pharisees' belief that the souls of evil men are punished after death. I believe that that's true. But the souls of good men are, quote, removed into other bodies, unquote. I've read a lot of Josephus, but I've never read that part. But I'm, I'm going to look. And they will have, quote, power to revive and live again, unquote. Now that part I believe, because they believed in, not necessarily reincarnation, but resurrection. That was the whole difference between them. Actually, and that could be a description of resurrection. It could, exactly, that's what I mean. Yeah. So, good, good, uh, good comment. Yes. I think one thing that perhaps makes us uncomfortable about this whole topic um, is we want we want one way or the other. Right. A lot of times, and Judaism uh, a lot of times just doesn't see it that way. So they'll have, for example, the death of the righteous atoning for even in this past two chapters. Uh, Tractate yesterday, you have the death of Miriam and the death of Aaron being discussed. It's discussed elsewhere, but it's also in, right. in this place as well. And they're so close to the things that bring atonement in right. the scripture. Right. So, but then there are also, you know, a ton of other discussions of atonement, etc. So we want to say, well, does the death of the righteous atone like the way that we understand it or not? And so there's a lot of, it's just A and not A it can both be true at the same time. And so I think that, you know, while reincarnation is a fascinating topic to talk about, 
and it certainly is a fundamental tenet of Judaism as understood today. And um, you know, a lot of the rabbis that I've at least listened to would, uh, and I don't know enough to say otherwise, but they would disagree and say that there is reincarnation in the Talmud. I don't know where, but I also have read articles that say it's not in there. So well, we all have, we have the Talmud, so we'll find it sooner or later. It's a seven-year cycle. It's, you know, a couple more years. <laughs> it's great for you know. I'm trying to understand life after, but it's a lot of speculation. At least my current view, I don't know if you know if it'd be immensely helpful to dive into it if you're not necessarily like you should probably be better off studying Hanukkah than Absolutely. you are with studying sure. reincarnation. So I, I didn't finish actually. I beg your pardon. And, and, well, on the on the but on the book, I, yeah. I love the book. The book's a wonderful. Oh yeah, it's great. Book. Uh, uh, awesome book. And, and anybody have, that's anybody that's considering reading. reading that book should not stop because they gave yeah. us something Well, like that's that. what we did. We kept reading yeah. because we didn't have a chance to chat with him. However, having said that, as a wonderful book, it's not a big book, but it's a, it's a it's got lots of stories, lots of stuff in it. There's, It's not just one time. It's not a minor thing. It's actually an important part of his discussion. No question. So having said that, again, if the Talmud mentions it, do we have to... If the Bible mentions it, do we have to look with a microscope to find it? Because apparently Rabbi Arush didn't have to look for a microscope. He's devoted a big part of his discussion to it, yeah. which goes back to that same idea of is it a doctrine or is it really a belief? Yeah, I think right now my head is, 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 is pretty much sitting this way. We'll close with this, guys, and you can just now um, go home, talk to your wives, girlfriends dogs and whatnot. Um, the way I look at it is this. The rabbi uses reincarnation frequently in the book and I see only one reason is to explain bad things, deaths and so forth and explain them in a like uh, like why did bad things happen to the good person right. well we have only so much time you ran out of time and now we're going to give you another time but i think i can still get the whole faith thing sure by just tossing that out the window and saying i'm i i, I can't be guaranteed multiple shots at keeping these commandments Absolutely. and and i uh, today amen and I was, I was uh, encouraged by Peter's yeah, comment a couple of days ago when he said, uh, <laughs> he said, I am going to do everything I can to keep every commandment every day. Could there be a better way to approach life? Who really cares if there is reincarnation or not? Because even if it exists, there doesn't appear to be, even in Jewish thought, anybody who's in a second, third, fourth, or countless time who's telling anybody who's here now about it. There doesn't appear to be the opportunity to get previous knowledge about it so that we can all get in sync. So, Exactly. It may be there, but if anything, I wanted to, as Judah and I were just talking about, motivate me to keep the commandments in this life, because how do I think? How should I live? 
It's appointed for me that I get one time. And then I stand before the king. Now, if I stand before the king and he does what we did before, 26 more. (laughs) See you in a minute. You know? Great. I won't argue. I won't argue. He's the king. But if I'm right, if I'm (laughs) if I'm done, then I'm done. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I can't remember anything else. He was first. Oh yes, sir. Yes, sir. I beg your pardon. Oh, you forgot. No, I I agree with Mr. Sprock wholeheartedly because I I don't think it. I don't think there's any uh, motivation to action. And with you as well, because my point was your point, in that it looks like Rabbi Arush uses it. To, and it does, I guess it does have a little bit of action inspired. I mean, he doesn't need to prove it or anything, right. so he's just accepting it because it's a, it's a religion. Right. But he's using it to try to try to get you to be more joyful. Encourage yeah. about your life. Exactly. And God is working with I you think exactly to right. work out your that salvation. It is a doctrine. Um, and it's probably invented to. Encourage. Fix the questions that would destroy your emunah. Exactly. Right. And exactly. so, where there is not, I think, if you're going to discuss the faults of reincarnation, you have to at least have something in your head, or just like you do, just toss it out and be <laughs> like blind faith with it, which is fine. But you have to have some kind of thing in your head to deal with what he's trying to deal with yes. with reincarnation. Yeah. I I think the bottom line is, do you believe that God is trying to make you better? Damn. There we go. If God is trying to make me better right now, then let's work with God as we're commanded to do and get better. Let's be more righteous men. Bam. Done. Now, Taylor, when you die, if he sends you back, <laughs> you're paddling your own canoe, buddy. And who knows? You may come back as a girl. Just, just real I'll short. Be a bearded kid. <laughs> 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 Yochanan ben uh, the psalm tells us when he when he was on his deathbed, his five disciples came to see him. He, he was weeping and 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 I mean uncontrollably and asked, "Master, why are you why are you weeping?" And he mm-hmm. said, "Today I go to see my, the judge, the king of all the earth." He said, "If I were to go see a king, a human king, I would be fearful, but I go to see the king who sees all and knows all." Shimon Bar Yochai's concept was that we should consider the day of our death the end of what we the opportunities that we have both to cease from sin and to do righteousness because we stand before the judge and it's that motion it's that it's that motivation of standing before the judge after I die you know nothing else can sway me from that I've run out of time and to me, it's, it explains that even when the non-believer finds out he's got cancer and X number of months to live, his behavior changes right. because he knows he's going to stand before the king. His time is short. I think that's probably a better perspective than, well, 20 minutes vote, that's not bad. You know, a little more than 500 and something left. Yeah, I'll get him, I'll get him the next time. That's a strong <laughs> That is that's a strong one. You're right. You're right. I was trying to be funny. That was a strong one. <laughs> it was a pretty funny strong one. That was a nice strong one. Started with strong man, was it? with strong That wasn't a funny strong man? That was a pretty good one. All right. Men, I pray that you taste of the sweetness of the world to come in this life. 
I think that's possible, and I think that I hope that for you. May you see your children's children come to faith. May your end be with the life of the world to come, and your deeds affect the hope of many generations and not just prohibit you from coming back as a puppy. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding of Torah. That takes a lot of study, gentlemen. May your mouth speak wisdom to everyone you meet. That takes self-control. And may your tongue bring forth song as you praise the Holy One. Blessed is He. May you have the self-control to look straight before you, especially when you're driving. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah. May your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, your heart rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the ancient of days. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, thank you for putting up with my... I hope if there's anything that we've learned in this Torah walk, it's to not be afraid to look at topics, talk about them, argue them. Because it's not, I'm right, you're wrong. It's, we're learning, period.